So you think you can manage. A Phillies podcast by Phillies fans, sad Phillies fans, as we are going through our not first, not our second, not our third, but yes, our fourth consecutive September collapse. The Phillies are currently four and eight this September. Um, just just in an abysmal tailspin right now. Um, truly not fun to watch. They lack energy. They lack excitement. Um, you know, you, you'd think for how poor they'd play, they'd be even further out of the standings. But still, with 18 left to play, um, they are only four and a half back out of the division currently trailing the Braves. And they are only three back in the wild card. Um, so, in a crazy world, they are still in this thing mathematically, but all signs indicate right now with this team that they are completely cooked. They have fallen back to 500 once again. They have failed to capitalize, uh, you know, over the weekend against a terrible Rockies team, and now they are failing to capitalize against a really bad Cubs team. Andrew, I mentioned it already, 4-8 and eight in September. They'd have to go 10-8 and eight right now to have a winning season for the first time since 2011, subsequently the same time, uh, the last time they went to the uh, playoffs. And I think, you know, the number here to get to 85 wins, which is what I think they would need to get to to at least stay in the playoff picture, they would need to go, I believe, 13-5. Um, and five. That's not happening. Where are you at right now with this team? Give me your thoughts. Why are we here again for September's in a row? Listen, I, I don't. It, it's unbelievable how this what this team does when it comes September time. I mean, everyone blamed Kapler for it. Everybody blamed uh, Girardi for it. And, and obviously, before we get into that, I think we all know that will come up in the show. But I mean, again, I'm a guy here. We got to start looking at the players here. I mean, we have a very similar team to what we had with Kapler in, in some ways. It, obviously, there's some differences here and there. But, I mean, in reality, Kapler had this team fighting for a playoff spot in first place a couple time, times when he was here, and we saw a September collapse. Now the same thing here. I mean, we had the eight-game win streak. I mean, I know that was beginning of August, I believe it was. It feels like years ago now. Um, but they put us in a position to go in first place there. Then here, obviously, you weren't in first going into September, but you were in – I think it was a game or two going into September. And again, you have the, the players kind of fold. And I know going in our group chat, I mean, you got to call out the right guys. I mean, JT's been small. Uh, Dede Gregorius has been small. Uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting a whole lot from the trade, but obviously he jumped out fast coming back to Philly. But Freddie Galvis has obviously slowed down. And you know what? The thing with Galvis, I'm more disappointed with anything. It was his defense. I don't know what happened to that. Um, he's struggling on the defensive side. It's like there's a, Philly, a Philly's curse on the defensive side of the ball this year. But that's obviously caused problems. I forget what game it was, but it was brutal, I think, in one of the um, one of those Brewers games we lost last week. I think in the 3-4 game. I mean, mainly the defense in that game was a killer. And listen, I know you're a Hoskins guy with me, but I think both of us, as big of Reese Hoskins guy as we are, I don't think either of us realize how important he was to this team. Oh, absolutely. Like, not, not even on the field, but the energy. Because even he started missing time, I think, at the back end of that eight-game win streak. I think it was at five or six, and they won the next two or three, even without him. But the energy in the dugout he had, you could clearly show or see sure. that it still helped out the team. And, I mean, now with him getting the surgery and stuff, I haven't seen him there in a while. And, I mean, rightfully so, obviously. But that energy is lacking as you – 
open the show with. And you look around, and I think that's, at least for me, where I'm most disappointed in is the lack of energy more than the, the talent. Like, I get it. It's baseball. You're going to have some slumps here and there. You're going you're gonna to miss guys getting hurt. But the thing is, there's a difference between losing and, and trying and then losing and where this team is at these last couple uh, weeks, it really feels like. And I don't know how much you watch post game, but I make myself suffer through post game pretty much every night. Oh, but, the only reason the only reason I watch the Phils nowadays is to watch Ricky Patalico melt down after yeah. every Phillies game <laughs> or after every Phillies loss because right. he single handedly, you know, if I can't get playoff baseball, having Ricky Bo just scream with that funny look on his face just that that that's a playoff enough for me. And and they're out there talking about it and I think it was, yeah, it's Ricky Patalco. He put, summed it up perfect last night. You came into the second half after the All-Star break, and it was all about, and rightfully so, all the fans and stuff, and obviously Ricky Bell and Michael Barkhand and whoever else is on the show at times, they're sitting there. We're sitting here talking about, wow, this is going to be an easy schedule. you got to run away with it. You're looking forward to playing those teams. But at this point, it's these teams are looking forward to playing you because of the way it's gone. And I don't know if you heard Michael Barkhand say it, Phillies in the last four years, or three years, 31 and 67 in September, with the winning, which is a winning percentage of 328. And I think that's <laughs> that, that's just incredible to think about. Because again, you have and you see in the first four months of the season, there's talent to be had on this team. Like you see it at times. You saw it on the eight-game win streak. You saw it when uh, Kapler had him in first place going to September last year, or excuse me, two years ago. And for whatever reason, it folds. And I think that's the big thing here. And again, if, like you said, and the, the thing here, and Ricky Patagra also said this, there's still a legitimate shot at the division because of the way the schedule shapes up. But it's on the team to turn it around and actually want to go out there and show up and play. I mean, you mentioned it, and you mentioned the, the, the 18 games left. And, and obviously, there's no easy game anymore because of what, what's happened. But just theoretically, you're looking at the schedule. The Cubs two more, three against the Orioles, and four against the Pirates. That's obviously right there. That's for your taking. If you want to make the playoffs, it's there. It's a matter of will they, and that's where everybody's starting to question. And even Ricky Vidalga said last night, there's still a legitimate shot at the playoffs, but it's on the players to show up now. You um – you brought up a lot of excellent points. We'll start with the energy because you brought up Reese Hoskins and, you know, you, you said it from the moment you've seen his absence out of the dugout. Um, e- even when he was injured, you think about the, uh, the, the videos that went out on Twitter of him reacting to all the big yeah. home runs when they were in the hot streak. Um, what, what he was bringing for the team, not even on the field because he was even injured. He was on a tear, but um, off the field, it, it's immensely missed right now. And I think you have guys who, what I admire about Reese is he's, he, he always shows up. Like, even if it's not going well for him, I do believe the effort's there. The 100% is there. I believe that's the kind of ball player he is. He is a team leader. Um, you, you can just see all of that about him as, as he carries himself. But there's guys who can bring that energy, but you see them completely fold when they're not performing well in that regard as well. Like, Kutch right now is lifeless. Yes. Didi right now is lifeless. Those are two exciting guys. They're they're great for baseball. They're very entertaining. They're they're like I said, they're awesome for the sport. But right now, when they're not going well, there's nothing exciting even about their personalities because it's just so 
drowsy and morbid, for lack of better ways to phrase it, because there's nothing enjoyable. So the energy is completely shot. I don't know how they get how anyone gets them motivated in the stretch. Um, and you mentioned it. The players, like, this team, for the third year in a row, since 2019, this team was supposed to, the intended design for this team was that they were going to mash. The hitters were going to mash and everything else could be subpar enough because the hitters were going to get it done. For the third time, or for the third year in a row, the offense still has not been able to just bail out the entire team. They have not been able to do that. And even more so than the last two years, a lot of the hitters completely shit the bed. And we, you mentioned a few of them, but let's think about it like this. Think about it like this. You have, you have Bryce Harper and Gene Segura who have produced solidly well. That's two positions. You have Herrera who – you know, is meh, nothing really special about him, still a bonehead, still makes bonehead mistakes and decisions. Yeah, might have the and worst you, baseball IQ in the game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Nothing good. And then you have everyone else. Hoskins obviously was producing well but got injured. But after that, Alec Bohm, disappointment. J.D. Gregorius, disappointment. Andrew McCutcheon, disappointment. J.T., disappointment. That's, that's four hitters in the lineup that have just completely gone com- – ice cold and you know once in the minors now uh, you know all, all of them had their injuries you know injury plagues this season but it's just it's inexcusable at this point and then you have who you touched on a manager who refuses to make any changes heading down the stretch and keeps running out the same horseshit lineup every night refusing to make any type of adjustments, staying, you know, strict in his, in the decisions in the way he's made them all, all season, that now's the time. Nothing's going to improve here. I understand you have the guys who are veterans who have done it before, who have had the successful careers thus far, but it's, it's at the point where it's not getting done and there needs to be some type of change. And you're refusing him. You see him refusing to just do anything like that, play any younger guys, and you don't really know how it could affect the team in this stretch if if it could, you know, set them on a hot streak or anything like that. Now, obviously, I don't know if that's the case, but also if you're out of it, you need to be able to see what those guys can do because what you're doing right now is not showing us anything for the future. And what are you, what are you playing for? You're not playing for now. You're not playing for the playoffs anymore. That's done. Unfortunately, it's done. We can mathematically still be in it, but 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 it's over. They just don't have enough horses to keep you know keep in the race. But I, I do think Joe Girardi, you have to examine what he's done throughout the last couple weeks, and has to make a decision on how he's going to run this team over the next you know 18 games. Now I, I want to ask you because you know you and I we've had our conversations about Girardi plenty of times. You know, we have last season now and almost all of this season to make a decision. I know how you feel about him, but has there been anything over the last couple of weeks, how he's been managing this team that has finally gotten you to see what I think the entire Delaware Valley has seen in that he's really not anything special. And I will tone back because I do agree that a lot of it does fall on the shoulders of the players. I, I think that's fair, but I, I just don't get how you can look at this guy and see what he's done and say he's done a decent enough job. But has anything changed for you? Here's my thing. In all reality, you're going to hate this answer. No, I mean, nothing really has changed. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, 
You just mentioned it. You have a lineup with Harper, Segura, and JT, right? Or, or and Didi, and Didi Gregorius, and then McCutcheon. So you're rolling out four guys there based off what they used to be. So you're having half of a lineup, half of an MLB lineup, if you think about it there. That's one. Number two, he has to roll out a bullpen starter every fifth day, already a disadvantage there, because of what, what's going on, right? Is that is that right? That's and then now on top of that, you were so desperate enough where you had to move your arguably your best reliever of the year to a, star, a starting role, which honestly has worked out well. So it's probably one of the best moves of the second half. But in reality there, you're, you have to move that, that whole situation. So the fact that he has this team where it's at, you have to see it's really not all that bad for, for what he's done there. So, again, if, and I'm a big numbers person. Mathematically, he has this team four games better than what their expected win-loss record is based off of all those numbers. To me, this is a very similar situation with Gabe Kaplan. You're literally, if you fire him, you're going to make the same mistake as Gabe Kaplan. You're going to let Joe Girardi go to a team where they're they're set up a little better and he'll turn he'll turn the switch on. I I truly believe that because in all reality, you mentioned he hasn't done anything, but he has. He's rolled out Freddie Galvis. He's rolled out Therese. He's rolled out Gregorius. He's rolled out McCutcheon. He's rolled out Herrera. He's literally used all of his pieces. Like, in these last few weeks. That's that's the point, Andrew. I don't mean to cut you off, but that's the point. For God's sakes, you have Nick Maton, who for a month was raking while DD was injured. I understand he he had a cold stretch, and after that, you didn't see him. You haven't seen him. You might have saw him once or twice since that time. You have Luke Williams, who was tearing it up in the minors, was going to be in the – um. To Team USA, like where where's he been? I, I he might well, he then, might be COVID, but well, then they call him guys. up, and, and that's that's where Nick Maytown went. That's that Nick Maytown went cold. Luke Williams went hot. That's what I you have to do with those that. kind of guys. No, because they're not they're not Ronald Torreyes's. They're not Travis Jankowski's. They're literally rookies. You do that stuff. You do that stuff. You ride the hot hand with these veteran bench pieces that you have. The Jankowski's, the Ranger Suarez, the um, not Ranger Suarez, Ronald Torreyes's, because you have to see what you can get out of your younger guys. They're not you don't know if they're just going to be, you know, bit players in the MLB if they're going to just fill roles on random teams or if they can actually be something. And that's the problem here. You know what Ronald Torres is. You know what Travis Jankowski is. You don't know what Nick Maton is. You don't know what Luke William is, but you don't you don't know what Mickey Moniak is, but you don't give them the time to even show us. You give us you give us at bats, random at bats, you give us a game or two, but it's not enough. It's not consistent. And I understand where I understand where Girardi comes from when he does it, but it's not working. It just isn't working, and it's not working, and it's not worth it waiting around to see if if you know Didi Gregorius is ever going to stop batting 210 and slumping for an entire season and give someone else a chance. If you're the Chicago Cubs, if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, if you're the Texas Rangers, that's what you do. But when you're in the middle of a playoff race, you don't just call up guys left and right. Where you're at now, but but like, you got to remember, this team was in a playoff race the the whole season for the majority of the time. Like four weeks ago, this team was in first place. Like you're not going to roll out a bunch. Of, like if these are Fernando Tatis type players, they're Javier Baez, those kind of young guys coming up. These are guys that aren't even in your top. 30 prospects like 
you're going to strike gold maybe once, and that's where you got Reese Hoskins. He wasn't a top prospect. But you got to remember here, when you're in a playoff race, Girardi's job isn't here. His job isn't to call up a bunch of 22-year-olds and see what they have. His job is to find a way to win, and that's what he's trying to do is he's rolling out a bunch of different guys. And you even said on the top that he wasn't doing enough switching the line, but that's what he has been doing. He's trying a bunch, a bunch of these veteran guys. And, and that's, but again, it's the veterans. Have- it's guys that we know what they're going to do. And now that they're cold, you're, you're in the same spot. You need to roll someone else out. But you, you know what you're getting out of uh, Mickey Moniak right now. They rolled him out for almost a month of the year. He looked lost up there. He could have – he, he – the, the, the pitch would be 10, 10, 10 feet in front of the plate, and he's swinging at it. And that, that, that's that's the issue. is And, and that's where you, when you have hot and cold young guys, for at least in my, my, in my eyes, if they're not a top prospect like that, you do have to look for the high end when you're in a playoff race. Yeah, Moniac, Moniac would be a poor example. Um, sorry, I'm laughing. My dog just jumped up on me. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I look. The the point is when you have a system like the Phillies, I I, I understand I I understand that in a perfect world that would be the you know smart decision or the right decision. But with this team, you you need to use your eyeballs and see the writing on the wall that the players that are you know the the bench pieces and not the guys in the minors who who should be up here playing right now that they're not getting it done there just needs to be some type of change and Girardi like I, I just don't and it's not just with the lineup he's done it with the the bullpen and the rotation too he's failed to make that adjustment the only adjustment that I will give him credit for is the Ranger Suarez move because that's obviously you know worked out well I don't know how much he's had to do with that but that is something, an adjustment that was made in season that I think really did benefit the team. But even, I noticed it last year with the bullpen, he fails to just make an adjustment that, that could really not even, you know, be enough to make that person, whoever he goes to, the new, like, you know, lockdown reliever or whatnot. But something to set a fire under the veterans' asses, like, look, like, if you're not going to contribute, I'm not going to play you. And I don't know if that's necessarily a perfect managerial skill or something that's smart to do for a clubhouse, but there needs to be something that lights a fire under their asses a little bit. And regardless of your, you know, critique of Joe Girardi, I think, you know, and this might not have been a realistic expectation, but the expectation was that he was going to be a difference maker. And we've seen enough, and I, I, I think you can agree here, he might not be a shit show manager, but he certainly isn't a difference maker, especially if it's no different than what we've been seeing over the last, you know, four years and the last two with him in, in, as the manager. See, Do you think that's fair, though? I don't say, see, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, I think I agree with that, yes. Uh, he's not a big difference maker, but to me, he's still a better option than what you're going to find out there. And that's where I'm at right now is, listen, we and this might be different if we had a younger team or something like that. But my in my eyes and I know a lot of people want Raul Banias or whatever, and that'd be fun. It's a fun fan thing. We all love the money he's playing here or whatever. Or you want a Jim Tome or something like that. But in reality, like honest question. And if you feel those two guys would be better or, or somebody else, feel free to answer that. But. What would be better for Bryce Harper, JT, and some of these and Zach, like a guy like Zach Wheeler? Is it better to have a Joe Girardi to start next year, or is it better to bring in a rookie manager who's never been there? Like we got when we talk about bringing these guys because we're on because these guys are hitting their primes. To me, that goes for the managers as well. Like in what world do you see rookie managers winning World Series or winning or winning division titles and stuff? 
Like, and that, that's where I'm at is like, if we were to start next year and say we start next year in the first month, 10 and 25, or that's, that's more games than days in a month. But you get my point. We start bad. Then you fire. Yeah, then you can fire. Yeah, go ahead and fire him. And then bring in a new guy and see what he has to do. But to me, to me, sitting here, if you were to bring in a, a rookie manager, I don't think that helps this team at all going into a next year when you have all these veterans. If they were, if they would have, and that's where I was at, and going back to the Kapler, and that's why I hated the Cave Kapler firing because you brought in a whole new team, you brought a new manager, let him live and build with that team for three or four years before you let him go or whatever. And, and that, to me, that's the same thing here is Girardi's only been here for two years. And if not only that, what coach is going to want to come here if he's got that short of a leash? Like, people, when people get hired, they, they see that as well. Who's going to want to come here when they see Pete McCann only lasted two years? When they see Ryan Sandberg only lasted two years? When Gabe Kapp only lasted two years? Joe Dreyer only Like, who's going to want only a two-year like two chance there when people always talk about, you got to bring in your own guys here and have a chance to win? And that's... That's my big thing. Is it's not that Girardi is a difference maker. I think Girardi is your best option for this team. And I think if you were to fire him, you're making the same mistake as Kaplan. I, I I will say I I you know I obviously have advocated for Girardi to be fired. Um, I I don't think he's necessarily the right guy to run the ship. I I do believe that. Um, but I also don't think he'll be fired in the off season. I do think he'll get his you know his final chance. Um, of the three-year deal and, you know, next season being kind of like the litmus test of what they're going to do going forward. And if it's that poor, yeah, sure. I think they could fire him in season, um, but I don't think it will be that poor. I'm sure we'll have the same string of mediocrity, 500 baseball, will they, won't they for an entire, another but six months. I will admit, a mediocrity April. Say you go, I don't know how many games, say you go 13 and 13. I think I think you could see Girardi gone. I really do. I, I don't I think, think I think, I think it's you too early. To, I think that would be too early. But here's my thing: is that I think Dave Dombrowski and company. I think this they signed him. They signed Dombrowski late. He wasn't able to have a real off season. He comes in late. I think a month and a half into free agency, so he's already behind the eight ball on talking to guys. So he can't really get anybody he wants. I think this is going to be a major. Move, move off season for the Phillies. I really do. Um, and I think I think Nebraska knows that. So I think if, you, if it's as big as I'm thinking, I think a mediocrity April is going to be a disappointment for Dave. And I don't think Dave's willing to, to kind of run that. Um, and that's why I say that. But I do think an undervalued candidate, if something was to happen, because, again, since it's Nebraska, honestly, a Girardi firing would not surprise me. I think it really wouldn't. But an undervalued Signing, I really think, is Dusty. Uh, well, he's been in the system forever. I think he really kind of has a grasp of these guys. And I, I, I think he's undervalued, and no one really talks about him as the, the next guy. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that if they gave him a shot. But that's a guy where I would say, since you have him under your belt, he could be that interim manager that fills the role in April. Like if something was to happen in April. No, yo, I, I honestly, um, I, as much as I like the idea of Raul Abanez being the Phillies manager, I do think that, think that would be cool. But um, I, I, I think now would be a time to go in house and see what your internal options look like, and maybe do find that guy, like you mentioned, someone who really resonates with this team, um, in, in the clubhouse and really could be that you know difference maker type of manager. Um, but you also brought up Dave Dombrowski. 
mentioned his offseason coming aboard late, not being able to really do a lot of things that he would probably have wanted to do if he was here at the start of the offseason. But now he will have a chance to have a full offseason under his belt with this team. And obviously, they're not going to go into a rebuild. You don't bring Dave Dombrowski in for a rebuild. But a lot of people are talking about a major shakeup for this team, a difference-making shakeup where they go out and maybe move some of the stars of their cool right now to go and get another, you know, core player that's from a different organization, someone to, you know, supplement talent while they're also giving away talent, that type of move, who obviously outside of Bryce Harper and JT Romuto and Zach Wheeler, those three guys I don't think would be going anywhere, but who really do you think out of this core that they would try moving and what type of move do you think that could look like if they are really trying to do some shakeup with the core? If you asked me that question like a month ago, I honestly would say I could see Hoskins because we are already heard all these trade rumors. But I think what's happened in this last month since he's been kind of out, I think they realize how important he is to this team. So I really don't. I think Hoskins, JT, Bryce, Wheeler, I think they're the safest guys. I think with the year Nola has had, I could see him moved on honesty. I, I could see if they if he packaged him for, say, a shortstop or something. Because I really, I don't think they'll bring back Didi. I think, I think at this point, and we've mentioned it plenty of times in our uh, group chat, he's not even catching up to 92 mile per hour fastball anymore. And it's a shame because I mean we were all, we all love Didi and everything and all that. And maybe his injury in the beginning of the year still had an effect, and maybe the offseason would help him. But I think with, I mean, what's he hitting now? Probably like 215, 220. I think with that oh, happening. <laughs> Is it that? It's, it's <laughs> with, bad, I'm pretty sure. With what's happened and what's kind of transpired over over this last month and stuff or year for for DD, I think he's, especially when you have a guy one in the wing, in Bryson Stott, who's probably more closer to be ready to call up than they than they originally thought, or you got two, a guy like, and this is going to come down to Shane's favorite person, John Middleton. When you have Stott down in the minors, or when you have a guy who's going to be on the free agent market. And I'm not saying they're going to get him, but they obviously have the money and they can do this. They really wanted to, and they have the GM too. But you have Trevor Story out there. Again, obviously it's wishful thinking. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But think about putting Trevor Story in this lineup for no cost of trading a Bryson Stott or trading an Alec Boehm or trading anybody. Like he's a free agent. He's physically a free agent. He's already expressed how much he wants out because for whatever reason, Colorado sold all their top guys. And He's going to be there. So I could see them saying, okay, Didi, we're going to move you. We're going to try to move you. We're going to eat up a ton of your contract and go play for a lower team who needs a veteran kind of leadership type thing. And that's where it's going to be interesting, where it's going to be interesting how tied, because this I, this is one of Girardi's falls, how tied Girardi is and how much say Girardi has in the roster. Because let's face it, Girardi's tied to a lot of those former guys he's coached, and he has a lot of loyalty. That's why I saw David Haley for a while. You see them bring back Therese, take a shot on him. And listen, Gregorius has been with Girardi his entire career. So that's where it's going to be interesting to see how much say does Girardi actually say on some of these guys on the roster, and are they going to be willing to part with them? And I think I honestly think if Gregorius is back next year, I think that's a lot on Girardi's say than that is on Dave's. And that, to answer your question, I think I think Didi's going to be on the move. If, I don't know if he's part of the – because I don't think they're going to move a, a core in Harper, JT, Hoskins, or Wheeler. So I think it's going to be a DD. It's going to be a McCutcheon. Um, 
But I, I think they bring back McCutcheon because of his 25-plus homers this year. Like, I get his average is down. He's frustrating there. But the thing about McCutcheon compared to Gregorius, where McCutcheon's obviously declined, but McCutcheon's still working decent at bats. He's still got the 25 home runs where you could kind of throw him in that seven hole and get some pop out of him and hit some of those five or six six hitters in uh, who's in that lineup. So, again, that's what it's going to come down to. But I think Didi is the most likely to be moved out of those offensive kind of key guys. See, I, I – I think it's possible Kutch returns and they pick up the option on his fourth year. I just don't think it's worth the money. I think his options for 15 million for next year. I I think you could. I I think you could probably do better, especially with a guy who you probably don't want in left field all the time. He's looked, you know, he's continuously declined in the outfield the last two years after the injury. Um, the bat's there sometimes. The bat's not there. He's been really crappy against right-handers this year. Um, I, there's a possibility he's back. I personally wouldn't wouldn't want to take up that option. I think there's probably a better bat you can get and use that money elsewhere. Um, DD is interesting because you you know it, it, it's clear he's not healthy. It's clear he's still really banged up. You know, we talk about it all the time. Guy can't catch up to 90 right now. Um, It's not fun. But at the same time, I don't know, since there's another year on his deal after this one, for $14 million. Excuse me, it might be – it's either $14 million or it's definitely an even number. I think it's $14 million. I don't see you're going – I don't see a situation where you're able able to move him just because of that deal and because of the money unless you eat – a lot of that salary, which is certainly possible if you think it's worth it rather than having him on the field. But right now, I think he's here next season, hopefully not starting at shortstop. Maybe they try to stick him at third pace. But I don't know. That's another thing you need to do with reshuffling some guys around with, you know, him, boom, Hoskins, if you want to keep Hoskins at first. Um, There's a lot of moving pieces to that right now. And also, you brought up Trevor's story Yes, you do need someone to shore up that left side of the infield defense and getting a guy of his caliber. You saw it in the series against the Rockies and the defense and the plays that he's made. Yeah, and his bat's just as good, too. We'll take both. I'll take one Trevor story, please. <laughs> um, but that goes down to Middleton will, willing, wanting to be willing to spend the money. And that's another conversation of who's getting moved around. You know, you're out, you're, you're out, you're, you're taking Didi out of a place now. Um, it's truly a fascinating thing to think of, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, as we head into the offseason. Um, I have one more question for you tonight, Andrew. Something to end on probably a little bit more positive note. I want to ask you, uh, you know, I, I feel like you're our optimist. I feel like you always have hope. You'll have hope till, you know, the Phillies are mathematically out, which is honestly something that as as a friend I really love about you. Because it is, you know, such a counter to, I think, Shane and I, where we're very doom and gloom. Um, <laughs> so it, it really balances out our, our trio nicely. But what, you know, what do you think you'd like to see over the next, you know, two, three weeks, the final 18 games? What, like, you know, even if it's not winning baseball, like, is it a certain player you want to keep looking at? Like, what's what's keeping you going? What's keeping you you know, into tuning in every night to watch this team? That's a, that's a good question because obviously 
the easy answer would be if you had the younger guys playing, it'd be good to see the development of these guys. But they're obviously not going to give up till they're mathematically eliminated. And once that happens, I think you will, if that happens, I think you will see Boniac. And you will, like, I think that's what they're waiting for in that sense. Um, so I think depending on when that, if that happens, it's going to be, it's going to be Moniac and that would be, so I'm saying if, yeah, if that happens and they start turning to these younger guys, I want to see Moniac kind of develop. I'm not asking for him to hit 10 home runs in 10 games. I'm just asking for him to have better at bats, get some hits. Again, not, doesn't have to be home runs. Just get, start getting some singles and develop that part. I think it is a shame Alec Bohm got hurt down in the minors because I think he would have been back up by now, especially with the cool off of Galvis and Trace. And I would love to see him kind of – I was excited to see him go down for a little bit, see if that fixed him, and see his return. But now that's not going to happen. But uh, I think as a team standpoint, outside of just single singling out players, I want to see heart and, and energy out of this team. And, and apparently that's a lot to ask for, which is sad. Like that's the thing that you shouldn't have to ask for. Like I should be begging for wins here and there from like a good player or something. But no, I got to just beg at this point for it looks like energy. And that's what's so tough. But we haven't had – I want to see that 10 wins is what I want. I want to see you get at least 10 or 11 wins, get above a 500 record, um, outside of the, the math, like here, like you have, and I think that's where it's most frustrating. You have the easiest schedule, like statistically, you have the easiest schedule, and you blew you blew that opportunity already. So now you have a lot of work, but to get above 500, it's the, the chance is still there. Whether whether you make the playoffs or not at this point, at least finish above 500. Like the only team there that's stopping you from finishing above 500 would be the Braves, like theoretically. Um, obviously, we know the troubles with the Marlins, so you can throw them in. I'm just talking about, like, strictly record-wise, like, the Braves are the only team above 500 that you have to worry about. So give me – at least give me 83 wins. It should be a cakewalk. Like, and that's, that's the thing – and I don't want to go on too much of a rant here since we're trying to wrap up, but that's the thing that's just so goddamn frustrating about this whole thing. You have the easiest uh, – everyone talked about it – the easiest second-half schedule in baseball, teams that you should just waltz all over. You were practically handing the Phillies a spot in the playoffs this year. You are. They like, 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 you, you were literally like – like the MLB, MLB said, here, Phillies, here on a silver platter, take the division because you can. The other teams are bad enough, and we are giving you literally you, – you might have faced five, five – Good, actual good teams in the second half at some point in, in series. And everyone else has been dog shit. And the fact that they just continuously crap the bed, it's, um, you know, the, the Phillies truly do give us something special. Not a good special, but it is something special. And um, that's really going to wrap it up here for, for us tonight on this episode of the So You Think You Can Manage podcast. The Phillies are now underway against um, the second game of this series with the Chicago Cubs. Um, they are, you know, currently tied 0-0. Top of the first game just started. Ranger that's Suarez. Yeah, <laughs> Ranger Suarez just uh, gave up a double. So we'll see what continues to happen here. Um, but hopefully, for the love of God, they they squeak out maybe a, a series win, get get two or three here, and just you know have some type of you said at heart momentum going into the second half. But for Andrew on Biscuit, have a great night, everyone, and uh, go Phillies. If if we can even say that anymore, go Phillies. Take care. <laughs>